All right, all right. Well, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in John uh, chapter 4. There will be no reading uh, in Espanol this morning. I was going to try to do it, but that likely wouldn't have went well. Uh, So we're just going to have it in English. But we're going to be in John uh, chapter 4. So if you got the text, you got your word with you, go ahead and get that. If it's on your your phone, go ahead and uh, power it up. Uh, We're going to be camping out there uh, for this morning. I want to pray for us, and then we'll get going. If you got it on Facebook, go ahead and say amen. Uh, we want to make sure that you are, you are with us. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your steadfast love. We thank you for your goodness. You are always with us. You have never left us. You never forsake us. You walk with us. And so, Father, we are incredibly thankful for your goodness. We're incredibly thankful for your mercy. We're incredibly thankful for your steadfast love. Lord, where would we be without you? Where would we be without your grace? Where would we be without your mercy? And so, Father, would you bless this time and bless your people. Speak through your preacher, through your preacher and to your preacher. Father, I pray that you would set me on fire this morning. For your heart, people's hearts cannot be set on fire if there's an iceberg behind the pulpit. And so, Father, I pray that you would do something magnificent today. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody say it. Amen. Ruby Bridges is the story of a six-year-old girl, black girl, who became the first person of color in the U.S. by federal law to attend an all-white school in 1960. Segregationist New Orleans, Louisiana. Ruby and uh, five other black children were chosen because of their highly, their high intelligence. But only Ruby had the courage and faith to face overwhelming social adversity. Friends, Ruby had the unmitigated gall to stand up against segregation. She had courage to go up against apartheid schooling. Where did she get such courage? Well, friends, her mom instilled in her a deep faith for Jesus. I mean, if you don't mind, can you give me that bottle of water down there? A deep faith in Jesus. This resulted in walking in the steps of Jesus. In the movie, her mom says this to Ruby. As Ruby's mother kisses her goodnight, she says, you know mama got to go back to work tomorrow. She said it like that, baby. You know mama got to go back to work tomorrow. And daddy's working as well. She looks at Ruby. She looks her in her eyes. And she says to her child, so do you think you can be brave, girl, and go to school by yourself with the big men? Ruby stops smiling and hesitates for a moment, clutches her dial closer. Finally, she shrugs a shoulder and agrees and says, okay, but I love what this black mama does. Her mother tries to reassure her, saying, you know, Jesus faced the mob too, baby, just like you. Isn't that something? Her mom points to Jesus in order to give her daughter courage to face the day. You see, friends, Jesus wasn't 
the most favorite in his day, neither. Mainly because he would rock the boat, if you will. Because he would come up against societal norms. Uh, Jesus hated and confronted things like apartheid worship. What is apartheid worship? It is a system of worship built on segregation and discrimination. Let me say it again. Apartheid worship is a system of worship built on segregation and discrimination. Y'all not going to talk to me this morning, but that's all right. In, in Ruby's day, it was overt racism. And in our day, it is covert racism that is fueling apartheid worship. Jesus, friends, hates apartheid worship, mainly because it lies on him in the gospel. It tells the world our God is a willing participant in injustice. You know, Jesus was not liked because he came up against apartheid worship. He didn't get a lot of thumbs up on social media. Uh, no, 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 no. Jesus, Jesus got the angry face emoji on social media. He had a lot of followers. Yes, he did. Jesus had more than 5,000 friends. He had to start his own business page in order to get more followers. Jesus had a lot of followers, but, but here's the thing. Most of those followers were haters. Oh, some of y'all can relate to that. Y'all got a lot of followers, but everybody that follows you doesn't like you. Every, everybody that sends you that friend request is not sending you that friend request on a, you know, on a good notion. Uh, some people are sending you a friend request because they want to snoop out on you. Uh, some people are sending you a friend request because, because there's some things that some other people have told them through the grapevine, and so they're coming to check out your page. Oh, y'all not going to talk to me this morning. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all got the hater, the, the hating stalkers, right? And some of you guys have got some inboxes because of some of the things that you stand for. So here it is. He got the angry face emoji. He had a lot of followers, but most of them were haters. What made Jesus so controversial? Was it Jesus within himself that made him controversial? Well, like Alan, he didn't, I mean, just like Ruby, he didn't do anything but challenge the norms of society. He would step into spaces he didn't belong. But why? Because Jesus knew what it meant to truly worship God. Jesus challenged what it meant to be a worshiper of Yahweh. And one of the biggest woes in Jesus' day was worship apartheid. There was a whole system of worship built on segregation and discrimination on the grounds of race, sex, and class. Jesus challenged this system, went up against this system, taught against this system until he reshaped the understanding of what it meant to be a worshiper of God. I'm going to preach whether you talk to me or not. How can we be a true worshiper? What does it look like to have both the inner essence of worship and the more public expression of worship service in our daily acts of love, which Paul calls our spiritual worship in Romans 12.1? All true worship is, in essence, a matter of the heart. Let me say that again. True worship, when you boil it down, friends, in essence, is a matter of the heart. Now, it's more, but it's not less than that. So my question to you, are you a true worshiper? Here at Bethel, we want you to understand what, what it means to truly be a worshiper of God. 
And if you were to ask me, Pastor, what does it look like to be a worshiper of God? I would say it means to follow Jesus. Then I would say that's not easy. And y'all would say, amen, somebody. If you can't say amen, say ouch. And if you don't believe me, see where it led Ruby. You see, a true worshiper, a true follower of Jesus will be led into places where they will not get a thumbs up emoji for going, but an angry face emoji. You might get a couple private inboxes. If you worship Jesus, you don't get the luxury of a Instagram. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's a fake Instagram account where you show just a small group of people who you really are. And some of y'all got some of that. Following Jesus at the end of the day, friends, it will cost you. Following Jesus will cost you. But following Jesus might answer some of our cultural relevant questions. Must we worship in a building? Must we worship every Sunday? Must we worship with everyone? What would Jesus do in this current climate? Must biblical justice be a part of my worship? How does God feel about the divide between South County and North County churches in Northwest Indiana? What at the core of worship to our God is non-negotiable? This is the question before us today. It's the question, it's the question that matters to you as a follower of Christ, as sons and daughters of God. How must we worship you, God? So let's follow the master worshiper this morning. Where are you going, Jesus? Where are you headed, Jesus? Where are you going this morning? What do you got in your GPS this morning, Jesus? We want to follow you. We want to go with you. But can you tell us where you are going, Jesus? I'm going into Samaria this morning. So let's go. Let's look at John 4 together. I'll restart it in verse 1 and go almost, almost to the end. But I'm going to break it up bit by bit. The first thing that I want you to recognize is worshipers need go through what others do not. Let me say it again. Worshippers need go through what others do not. Embedded in Jewish worship was worship apartheid. Embedded in Samaria, Samaritan's worship was worship apartheid. So embedded was it that it was a normal and acceptable part of worship. Jewish people worship here. And Samaritans worship there. Not too different from today, right? Well, let's see. Let's look at the text. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Jesus was gaining clout. Uh, His name was getting out there. He was moving up the ladder, if you will. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. I don't want you to miss that. I want you to underline that in your Bible or highlight it on your phone. Now, he had to go through Samaria. I love the way that the King James writes the verse. He says, and he must need pass through. Oh, that's good right there. You like that one, Frank? I'm going to say it one more time for you, dear. And, And he must need pass through Samaria. There's an easy way to get at the tension that John is illuminating for us. Judea was in the south, Galilee in the north, and between the two, y'all, was Samaria. 
That seems like from a pure geography that John is just pointing out the obvious. In order to get to point A, you got to go through point B. Imagine this morning, Gary, Indiana being point B. Imagine us being the go-through point to get to C. What the Jewish people did was build a D, F, and G route so that they could avoid going through the B route. Although geographically it was easier for them to go through B, emotionally it was easier for them to use D, F, and G. You know, people have built highways around Gary, above Gary, around Gary, so that they don't have to go through Gary. You can go around it, you can go over it, and you don't have to go through it. You can avoid Gary, Indiana altogether. Y'all know that I'm telling the truth. Now, now you get the idea for why John said Jesus must pass through Samaria. Because he didn't have to. The Jewish people had built alternative routes to get from Judea to Galilee, which went through, which went around Samaria. Why must Jesus pass through Samaria then? The answer has everything to do with worship. Worshippers of Jesus are called to go through what others can avoid. Worshippers of Jesus are called to go through what others can avoid. They avoid it, go around it, because they don't care. It's what you expect from unbelievers. But worshipers of God must care about the people of Samaria, which means they care about what happens in Samaria. You care that they don't know Jesus. You ought to care enough to go through Gary, which means you go through Gary. And when you go through, you discover things you would not know unless you go through the city. And if you don't go through the city, then you don't know things that's happening within the city. And if you don't know what's happening within the city, how do you respond to the things within the city? We see when we go through, we discover things that we can no longer turn a blind eye to. We see things that we can no longer say isn't happening. Uh, we're confronted with it. We ought to be convicted by it. Uh, we should care when we go through. We should care. We should be concerned about clean water in Flint, Michigan. I don't mean to keep bringing it up. And, and, and other forgotten communities, we ought to care as believers. Uh, we should care about the medical and maternal care of, 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 of equality and, and safety for black women. We ought to care. It, it means caring and lamenting for the over 2 million incarcerated in our country. We, we, I, when I was in prison, you came to visit me. I know, I, I know yeah, them criminals, let's just set them aside. But you forgot that you're just as much as a criminal as everyone else. I love the way Ken said, he said, he said, he said, we just didn't get caught. Oh, y'all, okay. See, y'all got the mask on. I can't really tell. But some of y'all glad y'all didn't get caught. It means caring about the racial bias lending practices. The continued fallout of predatory lending. What about payday loans that suck the poor dry and leave them without? That we would all care to, to, to close the gender and racial pay gaps. 
ensure fair hiring practices, and care enough to educate all citizens about the racial history of this country. It's just a part of worship. Worship is a matter of the heart, the hands, and the feet. Let's keep reading to find out what happens when Jesus goes through. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of the ground Jacob, and had given to his son Joseph. Jacob well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. There was no Uber. There was no Lyft. He had to walk. Not only does Jesus choose the road less traveled, he pulls the car over, he pulls the donkey over, he pulls the horse over to the service station, stops to get an icy white honey bun and a pull-up juice. No, that's not in there, but that's just the way that I see the text. You can imagine, you put in there what you want to put in the white spaces. I'll put there what I want. You can imagine the picture. Jesus is walking in an open road along the base of the mountain as, they, as the day carries on and the sun heat becomes greater and greater. Y'all know it's hot today like it was hot yesterday. It was 100 some degrees. Being perfectly embodied as a human with physical needs, though he is simultaneously almighty God, creator of the universe, he stops at a well and it is high noon. We need to really zoom in on this and see the two natures of Jesus, that that though he's God, we see his humanity. It's important that we always remember that he's both God, but he's also man. The people of Samaria, this is where it gets good. The people of Samaria are shocked, like people in Gary in northwest Indiana to see a mixed congregation in the middle of Gary. Y'all not going to talk to me this morning. But people are shocked when they walk into this place. And they see a mixed congregation in the middle of Gary. Now, when you see a mixed congregation in the middle of Gary, you ask questions. You say, what in the world are those people doing there? This is, y'all not going to talk to me. This is not normal. You got black people and white people and Latino people all coming into Gary. Now, you may see that at the Railcat Stadium, but you see that no further, right? You get off the e-way and you get up out of here. Okay, y'all not going to talk to me this morning. But here it is. Jesus is walking in Samaria. This is not normal. This is, this is a Jewish Jew walking in Samaria. They usually take the routes D, G, and F, and now he's going through B. What are you doing? This is not normal. This is not okay. In fact, Jesus is in dangerous territory, likely to be killed. But as we know, uh, the, the distance that Jesus will go to save a life. After all, we know that, that, that he ends up on the cross. But, but, but that wasn't the only time that Jesus was willing to lay down his life. We see it when he goes into Samaria. What are you doing, Jesus? Goes into Samaria. This is not normal. People are trying to figure out what in the world is going on. We quickly see here Jesus already breaking worship apartheid system that they attach to God. But when we keep reading, we see this even more. Look at the text, verses 7 through 9. Are you with me this morning? Uh, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "Uh, will you give me a drink? I love the way that Jesus starts this conversation with a request uh, to prick the soul. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. They off at the local, local grocery store. They went to Myers or something like that to go get something to eat. The Samaritan woman said to him, If it was Sunday, we know he didn't go to Chick-fil-A because it would have been closed. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Let's establish who we are. Can you see it already? She's like, "Uh, Jesus, hold on. 
I, I don't know if you forgot. I don't know if you got amnesia. I, I, I don't know if you're blind. But I just want to remind you that I, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. I just want to make sure that we're on the same page. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. I want you to see that. If we missed it before, John makes it plain in verse 9 that the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. There's a depth to the phrase no dealing with that comes out if we don't sanitize the Greek. The word literally means to share a cup. The Jews do not share cups with Samaritans. What does that remind you of? Our nation's history where our watering hoses were divided by race. How can they worship God and live like this? How can they worship a God that died for all people but can't drink with all people? This is what happens when we don't see that worship to God is both loving the Lord with all your being and loving your neighbor as yourself. What kind of gospel allows us to be okay with systems that divide us and oppress people? And then on Sunday morning, we got the unmitigated gall and nerves to lift up our hands to a righteous and just God and turn around and live out injustice. What kind of worship have we formed that is not pleasing or fitting or even matching to the character of God? This is what happens. Yes, this is what happens when we only see vertical worship and we don't see horizontal worship as we don't see these things as one. Somehow we've been able to compartmentalize things. We've been able to, 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 to keep our Sunday away from our Monday. Somehow we managed to do that and still believe that we're theologically deep. Somehow, we got our fancy ESV Bibles with our nice leather journals that makes us feel good and God's not impressed. He's not impressed. All of our, all of our seminars we love to go to. How can we have so much, have so much richness and be so shallow? How can we have so much knowledge of God and be so shallow and so simple? Uh, This is what happens when we make God whom we want him to be. This is what happens when we drag our cultural biases to the text. This is what happens when all we hear from is people who look like us and sound like us. This is what happens. When we're never in spaces where we're challenged to to deal with the blindnesses of our hearts, this is what happens, friends. Uh, This is what happens when when we allow allow the sin of our own hearts to be ruler and Lord over our lives. This is what happens, friends. Worship apartheid becomes the norm in the church when we fail to see our actions. It's either an act of worship towards God or a failed act of worship towards God. To this, Jesus replies with what looks like a pickup line, but I promise you that it's not. Uh, Jesus answered her, come on, Jesus, talk to them this morning. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him. 
and he would have given you living water. If you knew who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? There's a lot happening in this story and in this verse that I can't comment on for the sake of our time. But notice that she has switched her voice from first person singular. Why do you ask me, a woman of Samaria, to first person plural, our father who gave us this well? She is becoming symbolic representative of the Samaritan people. In challenging Jesus, she is saying politely, sir, you ain't from around here. You don't know the significance of this well that has sustained our people from generation and has allowed us to live. If this isn't living water, I don't know what is. She seems to be trying to one-up Jesus by finding identity in a well instead of God. This often happens. I'm going to talk to marginalized people for a minute. This often happens with marginalized and oppressed people. We begin to struggle to find identity or worth after being oppressed and told that our image is not in the image of God. And one of the things that cults like Hebrew Israelites do so well is attract black and brown and minority folks by offering black and brown people dignity through everything but God. But be aware. That people that offer you dignity and identity in anything other than the creator. Why? Well, the same issue with the lady. It leaves you dry. It leaves you empty. It leaves you wanting. We'll see this soon with her. She's like, I know God loves us. And we dope because we got a well. Worship apartheid leaves us fighting over who's better. But true worship leaves us fighting over the one who's better than us all. Let's keep reading. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. I just told you that. There it is. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir... Give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. You don't know who I am, Jesus says. And if you did, you asked me for water. She responds, are you greater than Jacob who gave us this well? Jesus says, I am not offering you stagnant water. You have to work to extract from the earth and provide some minimal life on earth. I'm here to overflow your life with a spring of water that creates its own well overflowing with eternal life. Give me this water. But why? So I won't be thirsty or have to come here. This woman seems to think Jesus is talking about another well that nobody has found yet that is superior to this well. Perhaps it's closer walk from the city. She knows that Jesus has something to offer her. She doesn't know what and thinks it's going to make her life easier. But no, Jesus wants to give her water that gives you the courage to walk into Samaria. Jesus wants to give her water that changes you. Jesus wants to give her water that allows you to drink from the same cup with other people. Water that crushes apartheid worship. This is the water that I want to give you. If you don't believe me, remember in Acts when Jesus has been walking with Peter for years and years, and here it is, Peter is still a racist. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, he is. Yes, he is. And in fact, after his salvation, he still struggles with it. Come on now. 
We see this in Galatians chapter 2. But, 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 but when God fills Peter with the Holy Spirit over in Acts, he tells him, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, this is unclean. God says, do not call unclean things that I have declared clean. clean. And he sends Peter to a house of a Gentile because when God fills you with his spirit, when he fills you with the living water, your biases and your prejudices have to drown in, in, in the weight of that living water that God places in your spirit. So, remember in Acts, what he did with Peter. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband. Come here and come here. The woman answered, here it is, y'all. It's getting about to get real Maury up in here, real Jerry Springer in a moment. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now I need to slow down here because I need to show us how we bring cultural biases to a text. And I want us to see that at some point you have to make a decision who is going to be supreme, the scriptures or the cultural background you brought to the text. Who's going to be supreme? Is it going to be your favorite preacher? Or is it going to be the scriptures? Because at some point, you got to ask the question, does your favorite preacher lines up with the text? And if your favorite preacher doesn't line up with the text, then you got to drop your favorite preacher. The Bible should get your vote every single time. you got to ask yourself, does your cultural lens line up with the scripture? And if it doesn't, you have to drop it. I want you to see this. Upon first reading this part, it feels like a Maury or Jerry Springer show. And y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't look at me like that. Go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband, right? You have five. And now you're living with a man who isn't legally married to you. I love the way that Hannah taught this in our Bible study. She slowed us all down. She really showed us that, hey, man, we may got the wrong interpretation here. In America, we only have one explanation for such a woman. She's a, y'all thought it. I ain't got to say it. We cannot exegete out of this text that this woman is an immoral woman. You cannot get this out of this text. In fact, we read that into the text from our cultural standpoint. More likely than her moving from man to man like a cougar, she was probably trapped in what was practiced in that day called Leverite marriage, like Tamar in Genesis 38. If you get a chance, go and read it. Or as described in Deuteronomy 25, this is more of the cultural context, where upon the death of a husband, the widow would then be cared for and married by the next male in line in the family. We don't operate like this today in many regards, but this was common then. This was no young woman who was playing the field. How long does it take to have five husbands who die or worse, abandon you? No, this is a woman aged in years who life has hit hard. To add insult to the injury, the most likely scenario is that the last in line in this family was a man who refused to marry her and maybe saw what happened to his older brothers and said, not I. Happening to me is not going to happen to me. Regardless, having repeated marriages would not make her a desirable candidate for marriage. This woman is likely oppressed and abandoned by her society. And we don't understand the depth and the necessity for a woman to be married in biblical days. To not have a husband was to be homeless. 
To not have a husband was to not to go without means. To not have a husband, it, she couldn't go get a career. There wasn't like there was a, a lot of space for women to go out and get yours and get your own and to be independent. She didn't have that kind of option. She needed a man to, to, to support her. But often we hear she was just some woman going man to man and couldn't keep a husband. But a little history might suggest different. It was uh, Josephus that the early church historian of the first century who tells us that Samaritans consisted of five people or five intermarried nations, each of whom brought their own gods into Samaria. The topic where the conversation flows next, look at the response as she's called out. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I perceive that you are a prophet. You ever had somebody tell you all your business? And you perceive that they're a prophet. They tell you about yourself. You perceive that you're a prophet. Some of y'all are hoping that, that y'all never go to a church where there's a correct prophet or prophetess. Okay? Because you don't want them to tell your business. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And the debate becomes, the, 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 the conversation is shifting towards worship. I hope that you see it. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for a salvation is from the Jews. And here we are at the crux of the matter. The the ancient worship war, apartheid worship. Not only did they drink from different fountains, they worshiped in different places. One of the main divisions that drove the tension between Jews and Samaritans was the issue of worship. Isn't it something when segregation shows up in the church? The Jews have built the temple, the temple of God, planned and commissioned by King David in Jerusalem, if you know your Old Testament. The Samaritans also built the temple to God upon Mount Gerizim, which had tremendous history with the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Which mountain had the right temple? I mean, people argue over anything. Wear masks, don't wear masks. Oh, y'all not going to talk to me. Church online, church offline. I mean, you just give us something. We're going to fight. We're going to find a way to fight. But this is not new. Here they are fighting over location. Jesus engaged her by saying, believe me. And I need to pause right there. Which is the entire theme of worship in the Gospel of John. The hour is coming that John calls for the new era of God's rule and reign and kingdom on earth because of Jesus' death. When neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, it's neither. This is crucial because something profound and prolific happens in the death of Jesus Christ. That when Jesus dies, he gets rid of this divide in worship. He's actually going to restore this broken relationship between Jews and Samaritans. That's what he's going to do because when Jesus dies and you put your faith in Jesus, it has nothing to do with your location, your skin color, your blood type, your hair type. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is do you believe in Jesus? Woman, it ain't going to matter if you're worshiping Gary or if you're worshiping Crown Point. It's not going to matter whether you worship in Highland or you worship in the back of a car. It doesn't matter. 
What matters is who you're worshiping, where you worship. And as long as you're worshiping Jesus, that's all that's going to matter. And we get caught up on Facebook or YouTube when God said, I don't care as long as you worship me. As long as you worship me. It doesn't matter. Let's keep going. And Jesus lays it out so cleanly for us today to hear and see. He says, but the hour is coming. And it's now here when the worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in what? Truth. truth. So what do we learn? True worship transcends our apartheid worship. Friends, God is not confined to our ethnic and geographical location. The Jews couldn't keep God in Jerusalem, and the Samaritans couldn't keep him in Samaria. I mean, look at where Jesus is. He's in Samaria. The Jews wanted to keep him in Jerusalem, but you cannot confine and define God. God will break every boundary and every restriction you put on him. He will not just be the God of the Jews. I'm the God of everyone. Nobody gets to circumvent Jesus, no matter who you are. And if it was left up to us, the only people who would worship God is our ethnic group. Don't sit here and say I'm not telling the truth. If it was left up to us humans. A sinful, broken humans. We only people that will be worshiping Jesus is our own ethnic group. Do you know how hard it is to run a multi-ethnic church? Do you know how hard it is? Everyone wants to go back to people who look, sound, and talk like them, who have the same political views as them. But here's the challenge of the gospel. The gospel does not allow us to camp out with people who look and sound like us. It challenges us to get in the room together and figure it out and you don't get to leave. You don't get to leave because it's comfortable for you. You don't get to leave because you've been offended. I'm talking about real worship. Real worship is no punk. It's no lay me down. No, that's no real worship. Look at Jesus. He's on the move. He's going to Samaria. He's going up against the societal norms. But that's Jesus, Pastor. Uh, you're called to be like Jesus. I just, just in case you forget. Yeah, that's who you're called to be like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're supposed to follow him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And sometimes we want to pick and choose how far in the GPS we're going with him. We say roadblock. It ain't blocked. He goes before you to move it out of the way. You can go behind him. Here it is. Look at what he does. Watch God. We have a hard time seeking other people. We have a hard time seeking worshipers outside of our ethnic group. At one point, white churches didn't even want to baptize black and brown people. We got to speak the truth about these things. If you don't tell the truth about history... We'll keep repeating it over and over. Many have heard the Bishop Richard Allen, 1760 to 1831, the influential co-founder of the African Methodist Episcopal, uh, Episcopal Church, 
who famously led a mass exodus of African-Americans out of the largely white St. George Methodist Church after they were prohibited from praying at the altar. The black church came into existence because of the white church instead of being the church was focused on being the white church. And it created worship apartheid. Worship exists because God is actively seeking worshipers. Why was there still worship in the cotton fields? Why, were, why was there still worship for those who are locked out of seminary? Why was there still Worship in the house of the grandmother who was not allowed to read the scriptures. Why was there still worship? Why did they hear songs rising to God in the cotton fields? Why did they still hear songs rising from suffering people, disenfranchised people, marginalized people? Friends, it's because we serve a God that goes to the poor, that goes to the marginalized, that goes to the forgotten. God seeks out worshipers. God went to those in the cotton field and made himself known. Because man cannot restrict God from seeking people to worship him. Oh, why did the woman of Samaria ever know about Jesus? Not because she came to Jesus, good God Almighty, but because Jesus came to her. Oh, that's your story. That's my story. That no, we didn't come seeking for God. No, we weren't that spiritual. I don't know. Well, maybe you were. I wasn't that spiritual. I didn't come seeking for God. God came seeking for me. Thank good God Almighty that he's a God that comes seeking for us. So that, so that even when people didn't want you to have the word, even when they didn't want you to have the Holy Spirit, even when they didn't want you to have Jesus, even when they said you are three-fifths human, God showed up anyways because God is not biased and racist like us. No, instead God says, I died for all people. So he shows up in Samaria. Oh, I love it. Yeah, he does. Oh, I love it. Oh, oh, I can't get past it. He shows up. And when he shows up, folks that were not supposed to know God ends up worshiping God. God makes himself known to whom he wants to make himself known. And no matter what system people put in place, they cannot stop what God already has in place. They cannot stop what God already has planned. And if you know the gospel like I know the gospel, we know that he came to die for people from every tribe, every tongue, and every language, which means that there's no, there, there's no army big enough. There's no man powerful enough. There's no one in office. There's no one outside of office that can stop the gospel from getting to where it needs to get when God is determined to get there. He says, but the hour is coming and now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Again, I may need a little help. In another place, Jesus said his mission was to seek and save the lost. Uh, here was a woman who was lost in her religious and ethnic confusion to whom Jesus transcended. That is, he crossed over cultural lines, racial lines, and gender lines. Okay, y'all didn't shout. You didn't shout. Okay, let me, say, let, me say, let me say those again. Let me say those again. Facebook, are you listening? Here it is. Listen what he crossed over. 
this is huge. This is, I mean, all, all of them. Uh, let me see. Uh, cultural lines. Did you just catch that one? Okay. Uh, racial lines. Did you get that one? And uh, see, I'm squinting. I want to make sure I get it. And gender lines. You know how hard that is. Do you know how hard that is? We can't get past racial lines. He did racial, gender, and cultural all in one day. For one person. Oh, I wish y'all knew the God that y'all worship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't know him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. A Samaritan woman, he crossed all of that for a Samaritan woman to worship him in spirit and in truth. This is why Jesus must pass through Samaria, because the kingdom of God is open to Nicodemus in John 3, a wealthy Jewish Pharisee man, as well as a cast-off, desperate Samaritan woman in John 4. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the dynamic of the gospel, that I can reach the rich and I can reach the poor. I can reach them in the middle. I can reach them far. I can reach them high. I can reach them low. Doesn't matter how far they are. I can get them. Why? Because that's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is able to knock down racial lines. Is able to knock down gender Lines, is able to knock down cultural lines. And when we look at the text closely, we see how silly segregated churches are. We can't segregate God. Jesus breaks down and transcends worship systems built on discrimination and race. True worship reveals our apartheid worship. Jesus reveals this woman's ignorance and bias. We see it in her. She first simply noticed that Jesus was a Jewish man. In fact, if you're going to accept Jesus, as one of my friends told me this week, you got to accept his Jewishness. Jesus wasn't just a man. He said he was actually a Jewish man. You got to accept that. But that's a whole nother story. Who ought not to be asking a Samaritan for a drink. That's how it starts off. Her culture has literally passed on to her worship apartheid. Friends, our culture passes things on to us. We see this in the Samaritan woman. She, being a Samaritan, had the, the, it has been passed on to her, mainly as a result of being stereotyped, stigmatized, and marginalized. And if we are not careful, we too will relate to God ultimately according to culture rather than scripture. Now, culture does have its place. And Jesus says he's greater, Jesus says he's greater than her father, Jacob, because he offers something eternal. That's huge. That's like walking up to the mosque and telling Jesus, walking up, saying, I'm greater than Muhammad. Walking up to uh, people who are, who are Buddhists and saying, I'm greater than Buddha. This is what he's doing. Like, no, I showed up. I'm the man. This is what he does. He rocks her world. And then Jesus shows her that he knows her in her deepest shame and desperation. That man have failed her over and over again. And he shows her that true worship of God extends beyond mountains and maps and methods, but rather exists in spirit and truth because God is not limited to physical location or a particular people. No, he's using the mountain in Jerusalem and those people who call themselves Jews to change the entire world. You see, the real God doesn't discriminate. The real God doesn't treat women like second-class citizens. You matter, daughter. You matter, son. So that when she says, I know the Messiah is coming, Jesus can confidently tell her, I, this Jewish man, this prophet, this the Messiah, I am he. Every step of the way, Jesus pulled back the curtains a little more and a little more to reveal who he is. 
Watch what he does. He slowly begins to reveal who he is. And at the same time, as he reveals himself, he's also revealing her. A real worship, when you really get close to him, and the more God reveals himself, the more he's going to reveal who you are. I need worship in my life to remind me that I'm not God. I cannot come to God in praise for his supremacy unless I denounce my own supremacy. And all both of y'all can't be supreme. Either God's supreme or you're supreme. Your culture can't be supreme and God's supreme. Somebody got to take supremacy, and hopefully it is God. And if you ever experience God transcendence, you also had to confront your own insignificance. True worship, number three, true worship does what apartheid worship would never do. It invites all people. Jesus, a Jew, invites a Sumerian woman to worship God. If God, if, if the God you serve doesn't have room for people that don't look like you, you're worshiping the wrong God. If your worship if your worship doesn't change how you treat and see women, you got the wrong God. If your worship doesn't change how you see justice, you got the wrong God. If your worship only consists of Sunday morning in a building, you got the wrong God. Rather than retaliate or retreat from the city of those who receive Jesus to be inferior, he engaged the Samaritan in kindness and compassion. Rather than succumb to the stigmatization put forth by the narrative of his enemies, Jesus changes the narrative by proclaiming and displaying what true worship was that included racial equality even in worship. Jesus didn't just love on one Samaritan. Nope, 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 he doesn't. Nope, God doesn't do tokenism worship. Oh, y'all not with me. Okay, okay, let me say it again. God didn't just go get one Samaritan and say, I ain't racist towards the Samaritans anymore. Y'all see, I got a friend who's a Samaritan. Yeah, yeah, the woman at the well, you know, I'm all good, you know. No, he didn't do that. No, no, I love that God doesn't do tokenism worship. Watch what happens. She brought to him several Samaritans because this is what she knew about him. Not only is he able to fill one bucket. But that God got enough resources that he can fill more buckets. And so she goes back to the town. And by the way, the simple fact that they listened to her show that she was not an immoral woman. But that's another story. But she goes back and go get all of her friends. Because true worship can't keep to itself. I find deep significance in the fact that this woman with her deep troubles and woe left her jar, her, her jar and went into town and said, come and see. The Bible says Jesus stayed with them a few days. Okay, now that's significant right there. Okay, y'all didn't catch it, did you? Okay, not only does he go into Samaria to get an icy white honey bun and a pull-up juice and to talk to a woman who, 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 who's been oppressed, but then he stays two days. Oh, y'all still didn't catch it. No, 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 he stayed in Samaria two days. Now, usually, word on the street, if you're going to go in Gary, don't stay in Gary. Because you got to get in and you got to get out or you may not come out. That's the word on the street. That's the word on the street. And so, and so, so, so look at Jesus, though. Jesus is supposed to go in Samaria and get out. He already should have went D, E, F, and G, but he didn't do that. He went through B, and here it is. He's in B. He stays in B. He should have been in C already, but he's still in B. And you, are you going to be all right, Jesus, staying in B? No, he stays in B. He stays in B, and he stays there. Not one day, not two days. I mean, not one day, but he stays there two days. Now, in the moment of two days, everybody and their mama know that there's a Jew 
in Samaria. Now, here's my question. When they understood who he was, they invited him into their home. This is huge. Because you first see Jesus cross boundaries he shouldn't. And then in response to believing in him, they too cross boundaries that they should not. I want you to see the effect of true worship. When was the last time any of them had a Jew in their house? I mean, when was the last time? Okay, y'all don't believe me. Here it is in the text, Chris. I had to bring it because I knew they were not going to believe me. Well, many, because I wouldn't believe it neither, but here it is. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of a woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritan came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. There it is. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After two days, then he went to see. I wonder if they begin to care about the need of Jews and respond to their worship. I wonder if they had begun to teach on apartheid worship uh, that, that was in their place of worship. Uh, what did they do to dismantle apartheid worship? What theology had to be taught over? Remember, her understanding was locations in Wales. See, when church becomes Jesus-centered, it cannot be Samaritan-centered. And here in America, Christianity has become centered around white people and white culture. And not that that is a bad thing, uh, 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 white culture and white people, but assimilating to whiteness and not equal to worship. And the answer is not idolatry in my blackness as a response to that. Oh, y'all not going to talk to me. I'm going to preach hard this morning because true worship moves everybody out of the way. True worship makes space for only Jesus. Well, white supremacy can't stand. And then finding identity solely in my blackness cannot stand. When we really get to worship, when we really begin to worship him, no idols can stand. No man-made gods can stand. My race finds its place. My ethnicity finds its right place. Not that ethnicity doesn't matter. Not that my skin doesn't matter. What I'm saying is that it doesn't matter more than God. And so there ought to be a fire down in the inside of you. That God is not at the center. All hell should break loose inside of you. Because there ought to be a desire down in your soul that you want to see God worship from the highest mountain. Worship in your heart. Worship in your mind. There's something about real worship that removes everything else that gets in the way of God. I know that's right. I feel my help coming now. I wonder what conversations happened at the dinner table after Jesus left. I wonder some of the Samaritans that showed up to their house the next day. Uh, we heard that you had a Jew in your house. 
Hey, you know that we don't have dealing with Jews. <laughs> Why do you have a Jew in your house? <laughs> and they had to answer their people because this is not normal for them to have a Jew in their house. <laughs> you know that we don't worship with them. <laughs> you know that we don't drink from the same cup as them. <laughs> you know that we don't talk to them. <laughs> but this is what worship does. <laughs> they said, but you don't understand. <laughs> we met the Messiah <laughs> and he changed our life. <laughs> I went from a racist to a non-racist. I went from apartheid worship to real worship. This is what happens when we begin to worship God. Worship is response to who God is and what he's done. It's not a method or a style. It's not a song or a prayer. It's a deep-seated faith in God that only comes by his spirit, that recognizes that Jesus as Lord and then our ethnic and culture finds itself in the rightful place, not causing apartheid worship. Jesus does something dynamic to the Samaritan society. He leaves it upside down. All right now. All right now. Friends, if you're going to be real about worship, you better get ready to follow Jesus. And when you follow him, he's going to take you places where most people will not go. You're going to have conversations that you wouldn't normally have. You'll find yourself at dinner tables that you shouldn't be at. You'll find yourself standing and fighting for stuff that people say is not part of the gospel. But you get ready. Because if you want to follow him, like Ruby Bridges did, it's going to cost you. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Are you a real worshiper? How you doing with this racial tension? Are you ready to throw the towel in and run away? Is it too much to be on Facebook with people who think politically different from you and you're ready to run. I know the feeling. People who don't vote the same way you vote. They're getting on your nerves, I understand. Are you running scared because to stand up for the marginalized and the poor is not to be accepted by the upper echelon, if you will? Yeah. <clears throat> It sent Jesus to the cross. It sent Paul to get his head chopped off. <clears throat> and it sent a lot of Christians to be burnt alive. True worship is more than singing songs, my friends. It's more than bragging about you get up every morning and come to church. It's more than just vertical. It's also horizontal. And it comes at a cost. There's some tough conversations ahead for us, some tough things that we have to talk about. But I believe that if we follow Jesus, it will cost us, but at the same time, he will keep us together. Let's pray.